We uh, turn this morning to Isaiah chapter 43, the title of our message today, One Thing You Can Count On, Isaiah chapter 43, and we read verses 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed even whom I have made. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us to encourage and and strengthen us today, to remind us, O God, that you are faithful, that you have called us by name, belong to you, and in the midst of the, the trials and the challenges and the troubles of life, Lord, you have said that you will be with us, so we praise you for that. And we ask, O God, that you would teach us now, as we open your word, guide us into your truth. We believe your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1789, Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter that contains a a very famous quotation. He writes, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except, can anybody fill in the bank? Death and taxes. Uh, You've probably heard that um, over and over again. The only thing things that are certain in life is death and taxes. Texas. I never knew where that came from until just this past week. 1789, Benjamin Franklin. Now, let me ask you a question. If death and taxes are the only thing that we can count on in this world, wouldn't we be miserable people? How many people like paying taxes? Uh, I've only had one person in my life tell me they like paying taxes. I told them you ought to have your head examined. No, I didn't really. But it's just like, okay. And how many people love to think of dying? Death and taxes, if, if that's all that we can count on, we are of all people to be pitied. But there's something that we can count on, and that is the faithfulness of God. And I was drawn to Lamentations chapter 3, very familiar. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that good to know? There's more than death and taxes that you can count on. 
You can count on the faithfulness of God. And that's what we see in these verses that we read this morning. I want you to notice three things. First of all, God is faithful to forgive us of our past rebellion. If you look at verse 1, you'll notice that it begins with the words, but now. So when you see a phrase like that, you're saying, okay, there's a contrast being made here. And we have to look back to find out what that contrast is. And if you look at the end of chapter 42 of Isaiah, you'll find what that is. Look at verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen hereafter? Who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunderers? Was it not I, the Lord, against whom we have sinned? And in whose ways they were not willing to walk, and whose law they did not obey. So he poured out on him the heat of his anger, and the fierceness of battle, and it set him aflame all around, yet he did not recognize it. And it burned him, but he paid no attention. So Isaiah is telling us here that, that God disciplined his people Israel, because of their rebellion against him, and they didn't seem to learn from it. The last phrase of, of the previous chapter says, they paid no attention. And you read in the Old Testament and see how God had sent his prophets over and over, warning about the captivity into Babylon. They mocked the prophets, they laughed at them, they spurned them, they persecuted them, they rebelled against God's word, and he sent them to Babylon. You come to chapter 43 and it says, but now. Something changed here. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you think about the rebellion of the people, how they spurned God's prophets, God disciplined them, they paid no attention, and yet God said about them, you're mine. I've created you, I've redeemed you, you are mine. Reminds me of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Even though they did not deserve this forgiveness, yet God was gracious to them. Because he had made them and because he had redeemed them. You know, the word redeemed means to set free through the payment of a ransom. And it's interesting, if you look at verses 3 and 4, you will see that that's exactly what God did for them. Verse 3 says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Interesting phrase, Egypt as your ransom. As we look back to the book of Exodus, we see that that's exactly what happened. Israel's redemption from the bondage of Egypt was accomplished at Egypt's expense, right? And that is why Isaiah said, 
that Egypt was Israel's ransom. Now part of the reason was because the Egyptians would not listen to God. Remember Moses came and said, let my people go. And if you don't, there will be consequences. He was not willing, Pharaoh was not willing to let them go. And Egypt paid a great price because of their unwillingness to let Israel go. But God is the one who ordained it all. He is the one who has given Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in your place. So redemption is the work of God. He provided the ransom. And so as we look at verses 3 and 4, we see what we call the language of substitution. In your place, as a ransom, in exchange for you and your life. Who does that remind us of? Who was our ransom? Who took our place? Who gave his life in exchange for us? You know, that's Jesus, right? That's what Jesus did. He did it through his substitutionary death. So at the cross, what did God say? I have given Jesus as your ransom. I have given Jesus in your place. I have given Jesus in exchange for your life. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give what? His life a ransom for many. Did you deserve that? I'll answer the question for you. No, you did not. None of us have, right? We're no different than Israel. We've rebelled against God, right? We've disobeyed His law. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we look down our nose at the people of Israel, who are we, right? Who are we? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in spite of their rebellion, what does God say? But now, I'm your creator. I'm the one who made you. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. So you who know Jesus today, you've been ransomed. You've been set free. A price was paid for your sin on the cross. Good news, isn't it? That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So God is faithful to forgive us of our past rebellion. Then secondly, God is faithful to stand with us in our present trouble. Now, if you think that because you're redeemed, because you know Jesus, then you're going to be free from trouble, you're going to be sadly disappointed because... Even though we are saved, even though we've been redeemed by Jesus, we are not immune from the troubles of this life, are we? Not by any means. And sometimes when you come to Jesus, life can become more challenging because the world is no friend to the Christian, is it? This world is no friend to the values that we hold as believers in Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, you can expect there are going to be troubles. There are going to be difficulties. And so don't believe this, this teaching that 
You know, when you know the Lord, you know, the Christian life is, is, is just like a carnival ride to heaven, right? No sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. It's just one, one, one blessing after another. If you look at what Isaiah says about the troubles of those who know the Lord, you'll see something quite interesting. He doesn't speak of troubles as a possibility. He doesn't say if. He says when. And there's a very important difference, isn't there, between if and when? If you go through troubles, would indicate that maybe you will, maybe you won't. But what does the word when tell us? It's going to come. There's going to be troubles in one way or another. And notice how he puts that in verse 2. Then, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. So what's the lesson there? Troubles are certain to come to the Christian just like everyone else. And sometimes... They will be very challenging. Sometimes the troubles that come our way will be very difficult. And the picture that he gives here is, is, is the waters, like the flood waters or the fire. Now, the New Testament picks up that picture of the, the fiery trials that come upon us to, to test us. Sometimes it's difficult. And many of you have gone through some of those fiery trials. Challenges that come your way that are not easy at all. The waters and the fire. And yet in the midst of that, the Lord says, I will be with you. And I think there's a scriptural illustration for each of these pictures of God's help and trouble. The waters. Think of the waters. Think of the waters of the Red Sea when the Israelites were backed up against the Red Sea and the the, the army of Pharaoh was coming against them and how God parted the water and they walked through on dry ground. They didn't get swept away like the army of, of Pharaoh. God was with them. About the rivers coming to the promised land and crossing that Jordan River at flood stage and they walked through again. God was with them. About the fire. Remember those three Hebrew Boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember how the king looked and he said, I thought we put three in the fire. Looks to me like there's four. And the form of the fourth one looks like the Son of God, Jesus with them. And so we have those illustrations, the, the waters, the rivers, the fire, where God was with His people in all of those circumstances. And why did He do it? Verse 4 says, Since you are precious in My sight, since you are honored and I love you. Isn't that amazing? These people weren't very lovable, were they? disobedient, persecuting the prophets, not listening to God. And what did God say? I love you. Even though they weren't very lovable. And you know what? Sometimes we're not very lovable either. Are we? Ask your spouse. 
Now, there's some times when you're not very lovable. I think everyone would say, Amen. Yep, I can, I can give you some examples. Uh, if my wife were here to the second service, she'd give you some examples. There's times he's not very lovable, but God says, I love you. That's true love, isn't it? He loves us, period. Not because of anything, but because he loves us. That's why he does it. That's why he is with us. He's with us in trouble because he has created us for his glory. If you jump down to verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God has made us for his glory. And if you think of what happened as a result of the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan and the three Hebrew children in the fire, God was glorified through those experiences, wasn't he? Think of the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember when the spies came out to spy the city of Jericho and they ended up staying with with Rahab? And Rahab came up on the roof at night. These two men were hiding up there and... And what she said, she said, we've heard what your God did. We heard about the crossing of the Red Sea and our hearts melted with fear. <laughs> they were so scared when the, when the people of Israel were to come in the land of Canaan. God was glorified through that. Think of the crossing of the Jordan. Remember, they were to take 12 stones, one for each tribe, build this memorial. And then Joshua, someday your kids are going to ask. Dad, what are all these stones about? What do you tell them? You tell them, here we were, entering the promised land. Jordan River at flood stage. And God opened the way for us. And he gave us that land. God was glorified. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The whole kingdom heard about that event. These three thrown into the fire furnace and they came out unharmed. Their clothes didn't even smell of fire. God was glorified. Glorified through it all. So God stands with us in times of trial. And his presence makes a difference in how we face those challenges of life. I think about people that don't have the Lord and they're facing hardship. And what are they doing? Just crossing their fingers, hoping for the best. Aren't you glad we got Jesus in times like that? When the fiery trials come and the flood waters come, we have the promise. I'll be with you. Not if, but when you go through the fire, I will be with you. But then there's a third way in which we see the faithfulness of God. God is faithful to give us his future glory. So we have the past and we have the present and we have the future. Were it not for the faithfulness of God, Israel would have never continued to be a people. There were a number of times that they were taken from their land and, and scattered abroad. And yet notice what God promised his people. Verses 5 and 6, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. And I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
Now part of this prophecy was fulfilled when the people of Israel came back to the land after the captivity. Under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the temple, God brought them back. After 70 years in Babylon, he gathered them back to the land. I think part of the prophecy is being fulfilled today. God is bringing his people back to Israel. From all the various parts of the earth, from the east and west and north and south, God is bringing his people back as, as part of the fulfillment of this promise. And I would suggest to you also that there is a future heavenly fulfillment of this. And I think Jesus in Matthew 8, 11 makes reference to this. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. So there's a day coming when God is going to gather his people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And we will then experience the ultimate expression of his faithfulness. Though we do not deserve it, we will share God's future glory. And that is amazing, isn't it? To think of that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus. Everything that the Father owns, we will share in that day when he comes, gathers us from east and west and north and south, and brings us into his eternal kingdom. You can count on more than death and taxes. God's word is clear. You can count on God is faithful to forgive us our sin. He is faithful to stand with us in trouble. He is faithful to give us his future glory. And I would say that's reason to praise him today. To give thanks to this good and gracious and glorious God who would do that for us. Thomas Chisholm wrote the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We're going to sing in a moment. And he writes about these three expressions of God's faithfulness. Listen to the third verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. There's redemption. There's ransom. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. There's strength in times of trouble. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Thomas Chisholm didn't have an easy life. Uh, He was uh, born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. He became a Christian at the age of 27 and entered the ministry at the age of 36. But poor health caused him to retire after just one year of ministry. Looking back on the writing of the hymn, here's what he said many years later. He said, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. However, I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness 
of a covenant-keeping God, and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. That's quite a way to put it. God's unfailing faithfulness led to astonishing gratefulness. Is that your testimony today? As you think of the faithfulness of God, as you think of the way that He has provided for you, how He has saved you, how He's been with you in times of trouble, how He promises an eternal inheritance, God's unfailing faithfulness ought to lead to astonishing gratefulness for all that He has done. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's stand as we sing that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father.